Welcome to Manufacturing Talk Radio, your source for breaking news, business trends, and economic forecasts here and abroad that impact one-third of America's economy. And now your hosts, Lou Weiss and Tim Grady. And welcome to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. We're excited to be here. We're going to be talking about the food industry on this episode. There's an industry we haven't talked much about, Lou. No, that's true. Uh, We've talked about everything that's made from metal, not from food. So it's uh, it's going to be an interesting uh, conversation, being that uh, we can't do without it, and we need to see uh, the safety issues and uh, uh, the, the the laws that are involved with the production of food and so on. So I'm really glad to have this uh, show um, because it's necessar- necessary. So Tim, why don't you right. do the do the intro and uh, let's get the show on the road. All right. Yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it, too, with all of this uh, big data coming along and the digitization of every industry. I'll be interested to see what our guest Robert Salamone has to say. He's the director of vertical engagements with the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Partnership. A lot of his comments about the food industry really will be directed to New Jersey, but really apply nationally. So, Robert, thank you for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. All right, so let's uh, talk with uh, talk about the number. I think one of the number one uh, uh, points uh, that we need to talk about is what are the what are the food industry challenges? Uh, not only New Jersey, but again on a national level. So, uh, Robert, could you give us uh, some insight into that? So, the, the food industry is uh, one that's. Uh, um, been uh, uh, kind of in the news lately, and uh, many uh, food manufacturers are are faced with having to follow through with uh, new food safety regulations, etc. And uh, because of the the because food safety is among the news, people are getting sick. You're hearing about food recalls, everything from uh, 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 chicken nuggets or to uh, ice cream. Uh, all from various states, uh, from various states of the United States, and from various manufacturing plants. I personally became interested when I used to hear about the peanut butter issues back way, way back about five or ten years ago, and people were actually uh, getting sick and passing away uh, from uh, things like salmonella. And uh, my daughter recently is pregnant, and you know she talked about listeria, and she wouldn't eat ice cream anymore because she was concerned about uh, listeria contamination. So uh, uh, the food safety laws in the United States uh, really came to the forefront in 2011 when the new uh, Food Safety Modernization Act was passed and, uh, and was actually put in place in 2015 where it became a practice where the food manufacturing laws in the United States uh, were, were, were changed for the first time since you know the late 30s. And you think of the United States as safe, quality foods out there. But when I began to learn how un, un, unregulated the food industry was, things were voluntary, uh, and now they're becoming more mandatory. And uh, a lot of food manufacturers, starting with the, the big ones first and then the small ones later, are now ha- having to comply with this, and it's a big issue for them, and they have to make sure it's addressed. They have to make sure that people are trained properly and that they have the right uh, uh, good manufacturing food practice, current food manufacturing processes are in place to make sure the safety of the food is safe. And they have to 
uh, be ready to stand uh, stand up to an FDA audit uh, sometime in, in the near future. Is there any particular segment of the food industry that is perhaps more uh, subject to these uh, safety challenges, for example, the fast food companies uh, versus uh, uh, chicken farms and uh, cattle farms and so on? So it's so this so the, there are there are seven uh, rules of FISMA. Everything from actual food uh, food processing companies to actually um, uh, uh, the, the produce rules and how you make sure the trucks are clean. There are seven there are seven particular rules. So every one gets affected in different ways. Uh, so uh, so there's no one food industry that's subject to it. The new laws are really based on are risk based. What does that mean? It means that if there's a high risk in a certain food, they'll be inspected by the FDA more often than a low risk situation. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so each manufacturer itself. So, for example, um, a, a, a restaurant that sells like a McDonald's that sells chicken nuggets, they're subject to more of public health. Uh, you know, the, the the health regulations in a particular city. The companies that we're talking about are actually the manufacturers of the food itself. So they're the company that makes the chicken nuggets that McDonald's actually sells, right? So those are the companies that are at risk, the bakers that make the rolls that McDonald's sells or any other food manufacturer. So it's not restaurants. It's the actual manufacturer themselves. So the fact that the uh, law had to be put in place, the Food Safety Modernization Act and Compliance, that's a long name, uh, right. have they uh, – Have was that done? Uh, I gather that the last set of laws you talked about was 1933. Has there been yep. significant illnesses and deaths and so on in regards yeah, yeah. to uh, lack of safety? Yes, there, there has been. So, you know – so, uh, you know, it's somewhere about between 130 to 150,000 people a year are, are hospitalized for foodborne illnesses, and, uh, over th- and, 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 and thousands of people die every year. Everything from, you know, people all get affected by, um, we call it food poisoning today. Some of them are more serious and get very ill. The elderly, Young people get dehydrated, and and it's all caused by different areas. It could be salmonella, it could be less listeria, it could be uh, and or, and or other reasons that uh, people get sick and from contaminated food. I mean, recently there was a recall in the chicken industry where uh, chicken nuggets that came through had pieces of rubber in it. So they actually were able to detect it, and when they see that. They have to recall. Now, years ago, and I'm saying about 10 years ago, uh, recalls were uh, voluntary. So manufacturers didn't necessarily have to do a recall. Uh, the recalls just happened because the manufacturers thought very much of the people they were selling their products to, and they wanted to be safe. So they recalled products and said, this is bad. We should call it. But there was no rule that said it have to. The Food Safety Modernization Act allowed the FDA actually to make that recall mandatory. They said, hey, look, this is we have information that you're making an unsafe food and you have to recall that. So you have to be able to trace the lots where that food actually went and get it back or and to notify the people that it's coming back. Um, And those can be very costly to a food manufacturer. So that's one of the challenges they have to make. They have to make sure everything is right before it's shipped. 
because a recall could uh, damage their business to the point of, uh, of ruin. Does do the manufacturers actually have uh, federal inspectors at location, or or how do they determine that there is a um, an issue with a particular food manufacturer? So so let's separate the businesses into a couple of areas, right? There's the meat industry, right, which is really governed by the USDA. And then mm-hmm. there's the food processing industry, which is really governed by the FDA. So mm-hmm. uh, so, the, so the USDA, there are many uh, food inspectors or regulators on site in almost every food uh, meat factory. You'll find uh, a USDA representative there. Um, in, in the food in the food processing plant, they uh, do surprise inspections and they come in and audit you against your food safety uh, reliant, like like any other survey that they do. They want to make sure that you are producing safe. And if they find something that is unsafe, they have the right to either force you to have a recall or even to shut you down until it's corrected. And that that wasn't a law before, but it is now. Well, thank goodness, and I don't think I'm going to be going having hamburgers anytime soon in, in fast <laughs> well, food know, places. <laughs> so that's one one thing that is good, right, is that these laws are making sure that everything is in good shape, right, that the, the all the meat is the meat is safe, and if it isn't, they detect it, and they, and they do uh, make advisories. And you hear about big uh, meat recalls. Uh, actually, there has been a couple in New Jersey where – uh, there's a lot of meat recall, and that they have to get it back before the government shuts them down. Well, they Robert, to... I find, uh, I find no, sorry, this interesting. Ahead. Excuse me, Lou. Uh, Lou's company, which is All Metals and Forge Group, uh, is held to a standard in his industry called from the International Standards Organization, or ISO. Right. That, uh, his his company is registered with. And so yes. he is uh, inspected once a year, and yes. he uh, has to go through an audit. And and yes. Uh, yes. is there anything? Is is this? Uh, I guess it's if, however you pronounce Food Safety Modernization Act and and compliance. However they do that. Um, is there something similar in now in the U.S.? Yes. Yeah, so there there has been. So there's a. a there is there's a there is a, a movement in the world that's called the Global Food Safety Initiative, and there are a number of audit schemes that these companies fall under. Right, so there are there there's an audit scheme called SQF, which is very popular in the United States. Uh, there's one called uh, which stands for S quality safe quality food. There's another one called BRC, which is the British Retail Consortium. And there's uh, an ISO uh, spec called FSSC 22000. So th- 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 this organization, this GFSI organization, worked with the was one of the organizations who worked with the FDA to make sure that the new regulations in 2011. They worked in coordination to make sure uh, they gave a lot of input to the FDA on what these new regulations would be all about. Um, and then at the GFSI itself. They have their own audit scheme. So there's many retailers out there that say, before I buy my food product from your your company, before uh, I do it, you must reach be must be audited, like you said, once a year by a third party or organization, meaning let's say SQF, and they would audit you and make sure that you make their regulations and uh, you have to show uh, that you passed 
their audit is flying colors, uh, and it's at least once a year, if not more often. And sometimes, it, and then the first ones are announced, but subsequent ones are not, and many of them are um, uh, uh, unannounced on purpose because they want to make sure that the plant is operating under safe quality food requirements all the time. So being, uh, being a surprise audit, they get more uh, candid uh, information when they, look, when they investigate. Uh, Robert, when I uh, initiated our ISO 9000 uh, internal program, which was 25 years ago, uh, there was a fair amount of uh, pushback, not only from the employees in the company, but there was a fair amount of pushback uh, from the manufacturers themselves that, why do we have to do this? And because uh, it is an expensive process. Uh, the audits mm-hmm. are expensive. The um, methodology that you have to implement into your plant, whatever the product is, whether it's metal or food, is uh, an expensive uh, process as well, I would presume. Uh, so when they initiated this uh, effective in uh, 2015, was there much pushback from the food industry? So actually when the law was passed and passed in 2011, um, there wasn't pushback, but uh, there was the, the government went into uh, a, a comment phase, right? So it allowed uh, companies of all different sizes to comment on the regulation and its implementation. And there were ones who complained that it would hurt them, and there were ones who wanted it very quickly. Um, so it took uh, almost those uh, four and a half years for it to go through that comment phase and then to iron out its implementation. That's why it took so long to be implemented. And originally they had small, medium, and large companies uh, in the plan, and then eventually they changed that really to small and large companies. And uh, they used a number of employees as an example, as one of the, uh, uh, of the uh, um, requirements and how they measured the size of the company as well as what they produced. So the answer is yes. Was there pushback? But no, there wasn't as much pushback. Because every, I would say every food manufacturer wanted to make sure they made safe product. Not everyone believed that it had to be audited so regularly. And then, and, and then uh, so as far as FISMA is concerned, that was the case. But when you get to the GFSI requirements like SQF and BRC, what they really are are ways for a company to expand their business. So let's say there's a large box store that wants to sell a food product. How they help ensure the products that they sell meet a certain quality, they put those GFSI standards as a requirement for their vendors. So they'll say, hey, they'll say, we want you to be SQF. And uh, if you're not SQF by a certain date, we will not buy your product any longer. So it's like a, it's like a growth requirement. It's like having that ISO rule in place. And most manufacturers know it's expensive. So when, when a company says, hey, I would like to expand my business and I would like to go after a big box store to sell my product, and they say, can you get help me get SQF certified, um, I will tell them we would be glad to advise you on what you need to do in your plant to meet the uh, SQF requirement. But on the other side, I tell them you should have a plan to use it because it's very expensive to be SQF or or. Uh, uh, BRC uh, certified. How do you use it after you win that first customer? How do you use it in your marketing plan? How do you use it as you sell to the market? How do you get? How do you use it so you get a good return on your investment of 
the you know the, the high expense initial of getting the initial requirement and the annual audit and the annual audits. How do I get my return on that? So I say to them, have more than one customer in mind. Have a have a full plan on how to go after that business. I hope one I answered thing, the question in the right in the right framework there. Yeah, absolutely, you did. And uh, it when we did this 25 years ago. Uh, we had, as I said, we had a fair amount of push ba- pushback from employees and and friendly competitors who would say, "Why are you doing this? Why do you want to be dictated to by a, in this case, ISO was uh, from Switzerland? Why do you want to be mm-hmm. dictated to by a foreign country?" Once the orders started coming in, where customers said. Uh, I can't do business with you unless you are ISO registered. And we had the registration that eliminated a lot of competition in the very beginning years. Today, if you don't have ISO, you won't be doing business. Basically, that's it. So if you wanted to sell to, again, like a big box store or a large supermarket chain, they'll make that purchase requirement. So if you want to sell food A in my store, uh, you must have that higher level certification. Now, the high GFSI level certification is is um, for companies uh, of certain standards. They put those purchasing requirements out, but there are also lower levels where there's a step. You can go from no basic audit happening, or you could just have what good manufacturing, good food manufacturing, current food manufacturing practices laid out. That will help you get into the smaller stores or the people with less of a demand, the institutional buyers. They'll say that you need to be audited against your GMPs, uh, and then someone will audit to you. And companies like Silica or, uh, or would come in, and they would audit you against your GMPs and give you a certification, and they give you a passing grade. Uh, did, you, you know, did you get an excellent grade of above 90 or so, or did you, did you barely pass? And uh, those those guides would help those uh, retailers, you know, help make sure what they're selling are meeting certain meeting certain requirements. Um, and and that's a big deal. It's a big expensive deal, and it's a, uh, and, and so smaller companies may not want that. Just selling their product locally or re- regionally, um, uh, that then they did it. But I know of a couple of companies that just had their CGMPs. Uh, audited, they got a very good high grade, and they were able to move into a, a, a level of customer that they never had before. So it's, right. it's not exclusionary; it uh, almost becomes voluntary. Um, and 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 now that's so. But it's important to understand that FISMA and GFSI, though they have a similar goal, one is they're, 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 one is a compliance that's necessary. It's a government compliance. That to be in the food industry, you have to meet those requirements, period. Whether you sell, if you sell any of your products commercially, it's important that you meet, you meet the FISMA requirements. And there's certain so, trainings that you have to go through. So let's, uh, being that you are with uh, NJMEP, let's talk about how MEP, the National Network, and the Jersey Group, how how do you fit into all of this? What are you doing to help uh, the food manufacturers, let's say, in the state of New Jersey, being that you're from New Jersey? Well, so so what we do is we do we do two things. We the first thing is we do is we offer in-person training in a number of subjects. 
uh, and that means everything from handling uh, allergens, right? So everyone knows that if you're allergic to peanuts and peanuts get into your food, it could be deadly for certain people. Um, so we help them understand what al- al- managing allergens in their plan, knowing what allergens are, how never to use those, how, how to put, you know, how are you ready? Do you understand CGMPs? Do you have things like sanitation in, sanitation in place? Um, what, what areas do you do? And, and many food manufacturers find it hard to send their people to these in-person classes because they might be able to send a, send a manager to those classes or a supervisor, but their line workers also have to be very sensitive to what these requirements are. So what NJMEP did is though we offer uh, 11 different in-person classes, we also created, uh, just recently and announced it uh, in, in the last, last two weeks ago, that we now are working with the County College of Morris in New Jersey, and we have uh, learn at your learn at your own pace um, online classes that you could take, and they're offered and they're open for people who can enroll. They're less expensive than having person in, uh, go into the in-person class, and they could learn at their own pace. They could do it an hour at a time, or you could binge, or you could binge go through the class on a binge basis and get it done very quickly. So, uh, for example, if uh, I wanted to do uh, 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 allergens, understand allergens, that's eight hours out of my office for one day. Or I could do it over 90 days and break it into little pieces and learn the same information. And what NJMEP tries to do is say, hey, look, if you have a large workforce and you need that training, what we recommend is send one person to the in-person class. Get the networking conversation going uh get, make all that happen and then and then uh what i suggest is the rest of the people in the plant maybe you put through the self-paced training same information but you lose that networking capability then the person that went to the class can relate to them what they heard in person versus what they're learning in lo- online so it's kind of a hybrid that makes it more affordable and more convenient for the manufacturer to make sure all their people are trained do the employees get some kind of a certification or certificate that they have gone through this particular training? Yes, they do, both in person and online. They get a certificate of completion that says that they have completed the training um, uh, uh, successfully. Now, there are certain courses which are mandated in FISMA by the FDA, and two of them, for example, are is the cor- a course for preventive controls for a qualified individual. And the other one is foreign supplier verification program. Um, in both those classes, the FDA, uh, their name, when you pass that class, your name is registered with the FDA that you actually attended and you passed that class. And so that when an inspector comes to that plant, they will be able, they will know that you have a, an official, what they call a PCQI, preventive controls, qualified individual trained in your plan, and that your food safety plan that they put together uh, meets the regulations of a, what they, a preventive controls program. Uh, and uh, that, that's good when you're having an audit, right? When you have those Absolutely. in place, they, 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 they recognize it, and uh, it, it makes the... Uh, 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 the audit uh, go much sm- smoother. 
does the other uh, MEPs around the country have similar programs? Yes, yeah, so NJMEP worked with uh, originally uh, uh, 13 centers in the northeast part of the United States. And uh, what we did is we trained, we, 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 all the training that we created here in New Jersey was given to, uh, to use uh, by the other centers, uh, those other 13 centers across the country. And uh, there are other centers also that are engaging in uh, food, uh, for food safety training, and that would be everywhere from Georgia to Missouri to Nebraska to, uh, uh, to the northwest of uh, uh, areas of Montana, Idaho, and Washington. Uh, where they actually are uh, have very similar courses in place, and uh, they're training people uh, in manufacturing also. So we, there is training across the country. New Jersey is involved with them. Uh, we, we get input from them, and we provide them input. So we work as a team across the country as one uh, large uh, uh, practice that could help any, con- any manufacturer across the country. And, and our goal over the next few years is to have uh, uh, – any, any company could come to in any state and get similar training across the United States. Robert, this is uh, phenomenal. I mean, I, I, we did, I didn't realize that so many people a year get sick uh, just in this country and how many of them die. And it's really, it's really terrific that these programs are now being put into place. I would like you to give us uh, your email address and or both your website where they can get some information uh, directly from you, and then they can t- contact you on a direct basis. That this would be uh, fantastic for anybody who's in that industry. So my, my personal, uh, my company email is r s a l a m o n e at n j m e p dot org. And uh, and, uh, njmep.com would be the place to go for the website. And when you get in there, you could just uh, click on the food uh, uh, label on the top, and you could get uh, you'll you'll get into our food website, and you'll see all our services presented in there. And uh, you will actually see uh, the training class schedules that will also be in there, and what uh, will be added shortly is the five classes that we're now offering online. And you'll be able to sign up for those uh, very easily, and there'll be certain start dates for each uh, 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 series of classes that we start. Well, this this is very good, and uh, frankly, uh, if you have a press release uh, available uh, about your program that you just started two weeks ago, I'd appreciate if you would send it to us, and we'll be happy to post it on our website uh, to help get you more uh, exposure so uh, that being that being said uh, uh, that that would be very good for you Uh, and if you have any further uh, comments that you would like to get out before we uh, wrap up this segment uh, please feel free to do so yeah so uh, I I thank you for the opportunity to speak to everyone and if you get the chance uh, and you have a question, uh, reach out to me, and I will be happy to uh, uh, connect you with the local center uh, uh, in your state. And uh, you can contact us for New Jersey, of course, 
but we will work with you in uh, getting your name to the other center, and they could also help you uh, in a similar fashion. Uh, and uh, and all, feel free to do that at any time. Okay, that's terrific. Uh, Tim? Robert, I appreciate you being on the show as well. I did not realize that compliance in the food industry was largely voluntary. I have some past uh, experience with the meat packing industry. So I knew that they had an inspector on site in the meat packing plants, and I just assumed that the food processing plants had similar inspections or inspectors. So I'm glad that the federal government has taken some modernization action to make our food safer. I always thought food in the U.S. was as safe as it could possibly be. But then you get the recalls and the the uh, salmonella and the listeria that shows up, and, and that kind of unsettles you. So we appreciate you being on the show with us today. And thank you for inviting me. Our pleasure. And we have been speaking with Robert Salmon, who is the Director of Vertical Engagements for the New Jersey Manufacturing Extension Partnership. I'm glad that the NJMEP, which, by the way, is the number one manufacturing extension partnership in the country, is taking a proactive role to let all of our listeners know, regardless of what state you're in, you can get a hold of them. They'll get you connected to a local MEP. And you can benefit from what the NJMEP is doing as the local MEPs all kind of pull together in this area. So, Lou, interesting, as I say, I didn't realize it was largely voluntary for the last, oh, 80 years. Well, I guess it, they had to do something about it because 150,000 people being hospitalized a year is quite a number. And uh, yeah, I, if, if you've ever had food poisoning, which I have had, uh, I think, twice uh, and did wind up hospitalized one of those two times, it is very, very unpleasant, to say the least. So that can, being said, can I, can Robert, I just add one more comment? So absolutely. The food, the, the food laws that we talked about go beyond human food. They also have, are in place for animal food which is another big issue. I don't know if you remember a couple of years ago, there were uh, a lot of animals that got uh, dog food and other foods that uh, uh, the dogs were getting sick and dying. So the, the Food Safety Modernization Act not only, not only addresses human food, but animal food also. Well, I'm glad you brought that point up. It's important. There are a lot of pet owners uh, in the country, and I'm sure that they've had their share of issues with their pets. And uh, it's good to know that the government is doing something about this and by passing these laws and that organizations such as yourself uh, has taken the initiative to expand upon it to actually teach people uh, teach manufacturing companies on the right thing to do. So that being said, uh, again, we enjoyed having you. We appreciate you being on the show, and uh, I thank you. Thanks again. Have a great day. You as well. And that, that kind of brings us to the end of this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can find all of our episodes at mfgtalkradio.com. You'll find links to other shows that we have, uh, such as Manufacturing Matters with Cliff Waldman. I encourage you to listen to Cliff's shows. He has some terrific.
tremendous guests and great information on there. We have our Women in Manufacturing show as well that you can click over to at that website. And you can subscribe to our Metals and Manufacturing Outlook magazine, which really covers a lot of the manufacturing industry in all different aspects and segments of that industry. So a lot to be found at mfgtalkradio.com. And thank you for listening to this episode of Manufacturing Talk Radio. Thanks for joining us on Manufacturing Talk Radio. You can hear our next broadcast each Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at mfgtalkradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.